Yeah, let's welcome along Dennis Stewart. And Dennis, today we're talking about the herb growers, the suppliers. We are, Dave, because one of the biggest problems that faces modern herbal medicine, its practice and, and product development, is that the supply of herbs, raw materials, is becoming incredibly difficult. And what I have sought to do during my lifetime is encourage farmers to take seriously the possibility of growing herbs as a cash crop. If we get a chance, we'll talk about it a bit more. Beverly joins us from Brightwaters. Hello, Beverly. Hello. Hello, Hello. Beverly. How are you, Beverly? Fine, thank you. Good, um, good. I'm, I'm ringing really for my, my daughter who lives in Brisbane. Oh, yes. Uh, she's had, uh, definitely had Ross River fever. Yes. Uh, she believes she's had Lyme disease. Yes. Uh, she has lived up in New Guinea, and I think at one stage she had a touch of malaria as well. Okay. But right at the moment, they're treating her for arthritis, and I don't think they're on the right track. Well, the arthritis perhaps is a byproduct of the original condition that she may have experienced. Arthritis is just a term to describe inflammation of the uh, skeletal system, um, but it can be triggered off by a number of things, and sometimes viruses can initiate arthritic symptoms so uh, it, they may not be on the the wrong track they may wrong be track. they may be doing the right thing but really uh, from my perspective there needs to be a little bit more done looking at factors that you've just mentioned her rundown in health could have precipitated the arthritis and what i'd be suggesting is that she look at it from an immunological perspective um, the arthritis management is obviously necessary but it might be useful to talk to a naturopath or an integrative uh, medical practitioner up in Brisbane about the use of herbal preparations, particularly one that you hear me talk about frequently, uh, called Astragalus 8. As, what is it? Astragalus 8. A-S-T-R-A-G-A-L-U-S, Astragalus, with an 8 beside it. Now, that means that is a combination of eight Asian herbs Led, yeah. by, led by one called Astragalus membranaceus. And that combination is used uh, in, in Asian medicine and increasingly in our traditional herbal medicine system in the English-speaking world for addressing conditions that have a background of viral infection, whether that be Epstein-Barr, uh, Ross River, Cytomegalo. And it's a useful device to think about using uh, to address, if you like, the, the, the byproduct, the side effect of the yes. suspected viral assault. So I, the immune system. Yes, I would be suggesting, and there would be very uh, many practitioners in Brisbane that would be using that preparation that I spoke about yes. and, and would know the approach that I'm taking here. So I think, mm -hmm. that, I think she's doing the right thing. Obviously, she has to have medical treatment for arthritic symptomatology, but I yes. would be taking a little bit further and uh, talking, to, as I said, to an integrative uh, medical practitioner or to a naturopath or herbalist up there about addressing the background of the condition, think of astragalus 8. Fine, fine. Okay, then. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, Dennis, every week you talk about the benefits of herbal medicine. Yes. What about the sustainability of herbal medicine? Dave, that's the thing that worries me. It's all right to talk about the public acceptance of herbal medicine. What people don't realise is that the exponential growth in the use of complementary medicines uh, based on herbs has led to a supply uh, drama, really, in as much that many of the herbs that we have taken for granted, many of them being North American herbs, 
Many of these firms now are either endangered, threatened, or in fact prohibited uh, to be harvested, collected, or exported. Uh, this is an accelerating problem. I'm not sure what the answer is, but to give an example of what I'm talking about, in our system of herbal medicine, which is known as Western herbalism, which is a blend, if you like, of European and North American herbalism, with a great deal of emphasis on North American herbs, one of the leading remedies is a herb called golden seal. Now, golden seal is probably colloquially referred to in our profession as somewhat as a an immune stimulant, a natural antibiotic. It has such a broad spectrum action in the body that it would be difficult to practice Western herbalism without it. For instance, in treating upper respiratory tract chronic upper respiratory tract infections, we would use golden seal uh, for treating a, a lady, say, that's experiencing fibroid symptoms with heavy bleeding. Uh, golden seal might be useful there in a formula to help lessen the heavy bleeding. Uh, for someone who is battling recurrent uh, viral infections, golden seal might be part of a formula. When I started practice many, many years ago, too many years ago now, golden seal could be purchased via importers here in Australia um, for probably, probably $30, $40 a kilo. You cannot now import golden seal much under $300 a kilo. Mm. And the golden seal that is imported is all imported from North America, particularly the United States. Most of it now is cultivated, whereas in the past it was what was called wild-crafted or foraged. That is the whole industry over there that's been existing, by the way, for hundreds of years, has collected, dried, harvested, and supplied the world with that particular herb. And there are many other examples of that. We face a huge problem because the scarcity has led to an increase in the cost of herbal medicine, and I see that as a real problem because this essentially means that many people will not have the opportunity of being able to get the advantage of herbal medicine because the cost structure will tend to, to, to inhibit them. Natural medicine gets very little support from the government, I can assure you. Um, so that creates a huge problem. But it's interesting, and listeners will be interested to hear this, and particularly growers, farmers in the valley that listen to my program, they'll be interested to know that probably now 15, 20 years ago, Professor Clifton Elliott from this university, who was the Emeritus Professor of Physics, a lovely man, he had a, a farm in Peach Orchard Road, Arimba, that he retired to when he retired from the university. And he and I became very close. And he became one of the leading growers of the North American herb, Echinacea purpurea. And as a result of his success growing that, we had growers very interested in doing the same. And so we ran what were called cash crops. And that is growers from all around New South Wales came together once or twice a year at Arimba and we would hold a one-day seminar on growing herbs as a medicinal crop and people would retreat to his echinacea plantation at Peach Orchard Road to see how he did it. It was so successful that a number of organisations uh, took up the challenge. Unfortunately, um, the interest tended to die out and that was probably 20 years ago. It is now more critical than ever before, and I really haven't got the answer to it. The New Zealanders, interestingly, 
the New Zealanders, who are very, very good at horticulture and agriculture generally, they have warmed to the idea. And so a few of the major medicinal plants are grown in New Zealand and supplied to Australia, or the herb is grown in New Zealand and processed in New Zealand and exported to Australia. But an industry, an industry is languishing in this country, an industry that could be an appendage to one's main agricultural enterprise, and in growing the right herbal cash crop, I've demonstrated you can do well on a very small portion of land using modern horticultural technology. Growing the the right medicinal herb can be a profitable enterprise for the farmer and can ameliorate the drama that's facing us, the supply of many of these herbs. For those who might be considering Mm. it, what are the conditions like here in our region for growing herbs? Well, I think they're very good. Again, in in growing a medicinal herb uh, or or in choosing to grow a medicinal herb, one gets a a picture of the land that one uh, owns or or has and then one seeks to grow or, or select a herb that is appropriate to the soil, the environment, the climate. And the hunter is, is blessed with diverse soils, diverse climates. So really, we can do anything if we want. I have demonstrated that you can, you can grow golden seal even in the heat of, of the summer of, in, in the hunter. So anything can be grown so long as you do your, your homework, uh, look at what herbs are in demand, see what your land is, see what, how it fits into various parts, save the United States, where major medicinals grow. And I'll just mention one text before we go on. There was an American uh, writer called Richard Allen Miller. He has written a book that uh, I recommend to all interested growers called Herbs as a Cash Crop. Listeners, jot that down if you're interested in the topic, Herbs as a Cash Crop by Richard Allen Miller, M-I-L-L-A-R. It's an excellent work encouraging particularly small landholders, more so in the US, but it's very applicable here too, to think seriously looking at medicinal herbs as a potential income source. It's published by Acres, A-C-R-E-S. It's readily available. One one can Google it up and purchase it uh, from a number of uh, places. I think our warehouse has a number of copies of it. Richard Allen Miller's book, Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop, a good work for anyone interested in taking on the task of growing medicinal herbs. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. We're going to Curry Curry and saying hello to Barry. How are you there today, Barry? Not too bad, mate. Yourself? Very good. Dennis is listening to you now. How can we help you, Barry? Well, we were just talking about the farmers going to do all the herbs. Yes. Uh, internationally, they're listening to you all around the world. They're going to do the same thing. Yep. Is that going to end up like the dairy? Oh, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, I just want to throw that question in. <laughs> I hope not. Now, look, the the herb situation is a little bit diff- different in as much that there are numerous herbs that can be grown as opposed to one dairy uh, breed, so to speak. So I don't think it's quite the same problem, but it will be a problem, as I said earlier in the program, as more and more people access what's called complementary medicine, which is a multi-billion dollar industry, as more and more people use those things, where are we going to get the product to support it? It's a real problem. A real problem. Other than that, I like your show. Thank you. 
It's not nice to talk to you. It's been nice to talk to you too, sir. I'll ring it up next time. I want you Good to. on you, Barry. We love it. We invite you to call any time. 49216216. Jenny's at Maitland. Are you getting a little bit of rain yet, Jenny? Or this afternoon, maybe? It just started to spit, yeah. Oh, there you go. Hello, Jenny. Hello, how are you? I'm well indeed. That's good. Um, look, I just wanted to um, talk about your um, medicinal herbs and yes, growing. Yes, um, yes, yes. I've got a bit of land where I am, and um, I've tried growing herbs, uh, mainly culinary. Yes. But um, I've got um, metastatic breast cancer. Yes. Which has gone into my bones. Yes. And a lot of the pain that I have is um, around my neck and my back. Yes. Um, and I've been trying to grow turmeric, and I juice turmeric and, and things like that. Um, the hot topic at the moment is, um, marijuana tinctures and oil, mm. and I wanted I wanted to know what your thoughts are on that okay. particular herb. Okay, medicinal. Yeah, I'm uh, interestingly, I've always been a supporter of the medicinal use of cannabis sativa for the mm. ver- for the very good reason. And listeners are probably not aware of this, but the herb was profiled in the British Pharmaceutical Codex many, many, many years ago. And there is, in one of the editions of the British Pharmaceutical Codex, what's called tincture cannabis sativa, that is, the pharmaceutical preparation. And interestingly, in one of the books that I have lectured from in most of my career, a book written by the German medical practitioner and and herbalist, Dr. Rudolf Weiss, he has an excellent section also in that medical text on the medical use of cannabis sativa. So I've always been a supporter of its medical use, but I've always been a critic of its recreational use because I have seen, I have seen, like you wouldn't believe, the damage that uncontrolled exposure to that plant has done to individuals. Uh, There are many, in my opinion, and I have to be cautious what I'm saying, in my opinion, there would be many people in our community today that are suffering the consequences of their first exposure to cannabis sativa or marijuana. So the, the illicit recreational use of the herb, I, I, I disagree with because of what I've seen and what I've experienced, even very close to our own family. But the medicinal use of it, I'm strongly in favour of because I know of its potential benefits. I know that it functions as an anti-nauseant and therefore has a role to play perhaps even in in oncology. I'm aware that it does have some relaxant benefits, which can also help uh, people uh, experiencing some of what you're going through. So I'm a a believer in controlled, regulated use of cannabis sativa. In the regulated use of it, what will happen, I I expect, is that standardised preparations of the herb will become available, and that will mean that the preparations that are used have guaranteed levels of so-called active principles in them rather than just something that's picked out of the backyard, so to speak, that may not have been grown properly or one that has been grown uh, hydroponically and would blow your head off, so to speak. The regulated legal use of it in a controlled situation I think has the potential to give to pharmacy and to medicine another medicinal agent that can help people like yourself, work through these crises in their lives. I'm a supporter of its medical use.
Yeah, and then they talk about the THC and they talk about the CBD um, and how they can split those two components out. Um, and the CBD component is, is the component that, um, from what I can understand, is um, in the cannabinoid system that we have in our systems anyway, mm. is what, what can help with the cancer tumours. Yes. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited at what's being done with this herb uh, because, um, interestingly, when I first started lecturing in the late 70s and early 80s, uh, at the high point, you might say, of the counterculture, very many of my students uh, would be using dope, as it's called, or marijuana. And interestingly, uh, I never saw uh, too much damage being done. But over the years, what's happened, of course, is that the illicit growing of it has moved from that sort of backyard environment to an industry where plants are grown with such an explosive capacity in such modern technological horticulture that it has become a real problem, in my opinion, particularly for people using it recreationally. When it is used medically, as you have intimated, some of the active principles in it will be standardised, regulated, and the preparation that will be offered medically will be one that represents the best medicinal possibilities of the herb. It's Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. Taking your calls on 49216216. We go back to the phones right now and we've got Christina joining us. Hello, Christina. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. And yourself? Very good. Hello, Christina. How can we help you? Well, thanks, Dennis. Uh, could you give me some um, instruction as to how to get herbs to market? Herbs to market. You know, okay. how do you market your herbs when you grow them okay. commercially? Well, it, dep- it depends upon what quantity you're growing. There are plenty of companies in Australia that manufacture uh, herbal products, particularly products known as herbal extracts and herbal tinctures. For instance, one company that I purchase my liquid herbs from is called the Herbal Extract Company. Note that name, the Herbal Extract Company. Now, they make huge numbers of liquid herbs and they purchase starting material, most of it from overseas, because the quantity they require has not yet been shown to be capable of being met by growers in Australia. So the first thing you have to understand is that if you're going to seriously go into cash cropping, you have to be able to deliver a viable quantity to a manufacturer. If you are just growing a small amount of a medicinal plant, uh, for instance, Professor Elliott in his early days on Peach Peach Orchard Road Arimba, he did very well by just packaging, packaging, his echinacea, and selling it at markets. And at the end of the day, he had people knocking on his door (laughs) irritatingly to get hold of that product. In other words, he realised that he didn't want to get into the game of selling, say, 100 kilo quantities, but he could use his product to, to market and build up a little business around a product that he grew, he dried, he, he, um, he ground up and packaged himself. So the first thing you have to say to yourself is, what market do I want to target? I believe there is a market for small herb growers, small medicinal herb growers, in many of the farmers' markets that exist around here in the Hunter Valley. If you want to get into bigger quantities, you have to think about the work involved and you have to think in quantities that you would have to offer to a manufacturer of, say, 25, 50 or maybe 100 kg of the dried herb. So it depends upon what quantity you want to supply. But keep in mind, there are numerous companies, one of which I've mentioned to you, 
Another one in Queensland, a good company, makes a lot of liquid herbs, is called Mediherb. And now obviously they need dried starting material. In Victoria, there's a company called the Pharmaceutical Plant Company. They need dried starting material. So the first line of contact would be to source uh, on the net or otherwise from the names that I've given you some of these manufacturers to find out what is really a demand from them, what quantities they would want and whether you're able to meet that. Let's talk about one you mentioned uh, not long ago, Golden Seal. Say we want to get involved with that and maybe find out some of these other North American herbs that are being sought after now here in Australia. How would we go about seeing if we can get into that and start growing that? Well, interestingly, uh, we, when I say we, myself and a couple of my graduate students, going back now probably 15 years ago, as far as I'm aware, were the first to bring into Australia uh, Golden Seal from the US. It went through customs. And we grew it very successfully uh, under the shade house conditions at Robertson uh, in, in, the, in, in the south, and it grew particularly well. Um, that crop formed the basis then of a nursery that exists in Victoria, where golden seal is cultivated and supplied in rhizomes or pots to potential growers. And so about this time of the year, I will contact uh, my supplier uh, in, uh, from his nursery and probably purchase another 100 or so rhizomes to support my interest in growing it in my little property at North Rothbury. So getting hold of Golden Seal is not a problem and listeners that might be interested in doing so, uh, if you were to send me a stamp-addressed envelope to 39 Alma Road, New Lambton and indicate your interest in sourcing starting material for growing golden seal and indeed information uh, on the book written by Tony Hoseman. He's the guy in Victoria, lovely chap. Um, I remember taking Tony out to dinner in the Central Coast one night after he'd done a seminar at the university and uh, he, he had freely uh, partaken of the, uh, of the, uh, of the uh, lovely um, uh, wine and towards the end of the night he showed his other skill which which was that of a singer. So here we had a guy who grows golden seal and supplies people and who has written a standard work on it, growing golden seal in Australia, who also uh, presents himself commercially and without too much encouragement and in some of the best restaurants as a very, very good singer. Tony Hoseman, he has written the book, The Standard Work on Growing Golden Seal in Australia and the starting material, the rhizomes for a crop, can be purchased from him. So uh, listeners that are interested in pursuing that, do contact me, 39 Alba Road, New Lambton, and I'll provide a leaflet, a flyer, that will allow you to contact Tony and uh, take it from there. We're talking about herb growers and suppliers and maybe an area you might consider getting involved in. Of course, we're known for growing our great wines around the Hunter region. Also, a lot of people have moved into olive oil and they've got their olive uh, trees and their olive plants. Uh, There may be something along these lines also (laughs) with you. It always interests me. I've lived in the valley a very long time and I've had property in the valley a long time. And as far as I'm aware, no one in the valley, and I say as far as I'm aware... No one in the valley has locked into the potential associated with olive leaf. We're producing some fantastic olive oil, yes, uh, some of the best in the world, and I mean that seriously. So the um, leaf is probably discarded. The, what can we I, use I, I it don't, for? I don't think many 
uh, growers are aware of the fact that one of the most popular extracts in complementary medicine, and this can be proven by looking at the health food store shelves, is the olive leaf extract. And it's made by a number of manufacturers, but it's all made on the leaf of the olive. So at some stage in the growth of the olive tree, it has to be pruned, it has to be cut back. Someone up there should take hold of this and realise that by Mm. cutting it back, you're cutting back something that can then be turned into a value-added product. The manufacture, the local labelling of a Hunter Valley olive leaf extract. Now, I've given to growers in the valley free advice today, yeah. Dave. So what you're discarding <laughs> is a value. Well, the leaf of the olive, yeah. the leaf of the olive can be selectively uh, harvested and easily dried. The technology is very simple. And then the bulk quantity can be easily processed by any of the liquid extract manufacturers here in New South Wales in the Sydney environment and bottled and marketed competitively, not only here but overseas, under the brand, of course, Hunter Valley Olive Leaf Extract. Look at all the tourists coming up from the Hunter Valley. Yeah. I've just dropped a bombshell this morning, Dave. <laughs> My heart's in the valley. I hope That's they're listening Im- to that it. That is an impressive I take, one. I take it seriously. Yeah. We, there is more to the olive than just producing olive leaf or just bottling olives themselves. The, the olive leaf can be converted into an extract. Can you mention any others that we might consider that we could look towards planting if we've got a little bit of room on the farm there? Well, interestingly, um, one of the easiest plants to grow, and yet it's very expensive to purchase as a liquid extract, is calendula officinalis or greater marigold. Greater marigold. Mm. And many uh, growers out there, many gardeners out there, were probably laughing and scoffing at that. But the vast majority of greater marigold that's imported into this country, or that we use in this country, would be imported, and you don't need to have a PhD Mm. to grow calendula. And from calendula, we extract some very significant chemical constituents that are very useful even addressing macular degenerative conditions. So it is one, like Echinacea, that grows very easily. It belongs to the daisy family, and as I say, the majority of it would be supplied from overseas in a dried form. Now, that's Incredible. Now, you've just been talking about olive leaf extract yeah, yeah. from Williamtown. Lillian would yeah, like to join yeah. in on the conversation. Lillian, what can you tell us? Well, I've been taking, my husband and I have been taking olive leaf, leaf for years. Yes. Uh, my husband passed away, but I stopped taking it when he did that. Yes. And moved uh, from Queensland to New South Wales, and I ended up with pneumonia. Yes. Uh, I have started taking it again, and I haven't had a cold since. Yes. And I believe that it is very good for your immune system. You're spot on. In fact, the interesting thing is olive leaf uh, extract is used very similarly to Echinacea angustifolia or Echinacea purpurea. It, mm-hmm. w- it would be loosely referred to as an immune supportive agent and would be ideally used to be taken prior to, say, cold weather, or if you are continually getting respiratory infections, it would be a good extract to think about. So I'm glad you've rang in to confirm what I have just said, that the olive leaf extract is here, it's being used, it has an immunological consequence, and there is the potential for the development of a local product that can compete in the marketplace with the other olive leaf extracts that exist. Thanks for ringing in. I I take it every day. Good girl. Well done. Thank you. 
Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Lillian, for joining us in our conversation, 49216216 here at 2 and URFM. So you're encouraging people, even if you've got a property there, a little bit of room there, get involved and do this. Well, and if they want yeah. more details, talk to you. Touch and I think this you. is the point. In a program like this, you can only drop hints and encourage. But I've given the information today. Richard Allen Miller's book, Herbs of the Cash Crop, published by Acres. We've got a few that we can supply. If you're interested in information on sourcing, starting material, seeds, rhizomes, plants, particularly golden seal from Victoria, stamp addressed envelope to my rooms, Dennis Stewart, 39 Alma Road, New Lambton, and just request the information you're after, and we'll endeavour to get it out to you and try to get some interest again in what I believe is a necessity if we're going to see herbal medicine become sustainable. Otherwise, those prices are going to be rising also they because you'll indeed. have to source They're it from it already. outside of Australia. Mm, that's the problem. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. Okay, thank you so much thank for today. You. As always, Dennis, there you have it. Dennis Stewart joining us as he does of a Friday afternoon for Health Naturally here at 2NURFM.